Hey guys, it's Derek here, and I'm back with another episode of the Engaging with Eric podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Brianna Fitzsimons. Brianna is the Education Coordinator of Black and Irish, which is a community organization that aims to bring about a more cohesive, inclusive Ireland. Brianna is also a secondary school teacher in County Dublin. She holds a Bachelor's and Master's of Science in English and Creative Writing, as well as teaching degrees in English and Special Education. As the Education Coordinator of Black and Irish, she's currently working on bringing anti-bias and anti-racism training to school staff across the country and is collaborating with teachers and students on creating positive multicultural experiences in all schools in Ireland. In this episode, Brianna and I discuss the contents of her anti-racism and anti-bias training and the aims of the training. We also discuss another project she's working on, which is essentially to bring about a more diverse and inclusive curricula in Irish schools here in Ireland. There's a lot of talk about anti-racism, anti-bias training across the Western world right now, especially in the United States of America. And there are certain aspects of different models that are being proposed for anti-racism training, particularly those based on the Robin DiAngeloite model that I hold strong reservations for. But I believe Brianna's model does a fantastic job to get to the bottom of the issue in a really profound way. I really enjoyed talking to Brianna about her training, amongst other issues, and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Without further ado, here it is. Hey guys, it's Eric here, and I am back with another episode of the Engaging with Eric podcast. And today I'm joined with a colleague of mine on the Black and Irish team and a very special guest, Brianna Fitzsimons. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today, Brianna. Um, I'm a massive fan of Brianna's work on the Black and Irish team. She's the education coordinator. uh, And today we're going to talk a bit about her anti-racism, anti-bias training that she's designed by herself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also some of the work, another campaign, in fact, that she's working on as the education uh, coordinator. Uh, This campaign advocates for a more inclusive curriculum in Irish uh, secondary schools. So, Firstly, I have to say, before I actually get to the questions, this is an impromptu question. What inspired you to design the anti-racism training that you actually designed? Like, what pushed you as an education coordinator to recognize the gap and say, I have to do this, I have to make this change? Yeah, so um, that was like, actually, it was actually kind of an organic thing that happened. Um, so you were, you actually helped out with something that I, one of my first projects as Black Irish um, education coordinator was actually the um, survey that we did in conjunction with Black Inclusive Curriculum Ireland. And it was, I think it was my first week <laughs> on the team. And, um, and Leon and Femi were like, oh, we gotta do this. You gotta jump in on this project. And I said, okay, what are we doing? Um, and the survey had already been done and we were in the middle of doing focus groups. And so I got to sit in on some focus groups that I had already been kind of put together and the team, you, you're, you also were part of that process. So, um, what happened was we had all this data, we had focus groups, we had the survey data. And what came out of the survey that we that we did was just this overwhelming, I think it's 94% of people of color in Ireland who went to school in Ireland reported that they experienced racism in schools. And so it was kind of like pooling all that data. There were a lot of other questions as well, but that was the one like statistic that really stood out as Oh my gosh, like that's, that's nearly, like, that's basically everyone. Like it probably actually is closer to a hundred. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I think also like as, as, as a person of color myself and thinking back, um, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead of things, but thinking back on things, 
knowing more about racism now after kind of doing all the research for the training, I realized there are things that were racist that I may not have realized were racist as a kid. So I think that's probably true for a lot of us. And so I'd say it's probably closer to 100% of people that have experienced something. So I was working um, as my, I'm a secondary school teacher and I was working as um, my school's um, special education coordinator at the time. And so I got kind of linked into a bunch of different people that were a bit higher up than me. And I asked if there is someone doing this in our schools. I work for an ETB and I asked, is there anyone doing anti-racism or inclusive diversity training, anything about this kind of stuff? And they said, no, no. And I said, well, can I do it? Because <laughs> it needs to be done. And so I just, it was kind of like a few conversations and like meeting with the teams and, you know, just, it was kind of like my work plus the education coordinator work all coming together. And I said, well, I'll just do this. And then it was summer. And I said, well, I have... <laughs> couple of months on my hands and I said I could do this and I just I started buying some books like I bought me and white, white supremacy all my books are above me so sorry if I look up there um bought me and white supremacy I bought um white um what was it white fragility I bought a bunch of books and I just said, I'm gonna read this summer and then I said I can actually take this and turn make something with this and so it just kind of happened and before I knew it I had a six hour training for teachers. I did have some help. I know you said I did it for myself, but I did have help with a few colleagues. I had some really nice people who listened to me and got on Zooms with me for about four hours over the summer, every few weeks and went through stuff and the members of the team. Um, so I didn't do it in a vacuum because I think that was important that I had feedback from other people. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was it. And then I said, okay, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> so it was That's done. No, and, and that's the story, of course, the origin story is really cool, but you are actually, um, you lived in America, I think, all your life uh, before moving out of America, and you went, to, you went to school in America, you schooled in America, and that's where you gained your formal education, and now, as you said, you're working in the education system in Ireland, so do you notice any differences in the approach to racism in Ireland, I know, uh, compared to America? I know that a serious complaint that has been waged against the Irish education system is that uh, there's a similar treatment to racism as there is to generalized bullying. Uh, and mm -hmm. racism is not appreciated, appreciated as a separate sort of category. Uh, so when you could bear this in mind and also your own experience and what you've seen students experience and what you might have witnessed in school as a teacher, based on what you, you compared to what you witnessed and experienced in school as a student in America, do you see any mm -hmm. major differences in the approach towards tackling racism in schools when you look at America and contrast that with uh, Ireland? Yeah, I think the major difference would be that Americans all know that racism is a thing. <laughs> um, I think it's just universally accepted. I mean, there are people who deny that, but like it's 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 a thing. It's part of the history of America. It's it's woven into the fabric of that nation. Like it's built on the backs of racist stuff, right? So literally, so um, racism is just kind of an everyday thing, and it's just it's in every facet of society. Um, there are, you know, um, you probably have heard of like the, the, um, preschool to prison pipeline that a lot of black male students have to deal with in America. Um, there are some really just systemic things that happen, um, as a special education teacher, there are things that I had to learn. Um, we do a lot of testing, educational testing, um, to, to qualify students for special education. It's, it's going to lead into my, my work here as a special education teacher, but 
one of the things that you can't do with an African-American student is you can't give them an IQ test because IQ tests are skewed. They're biased. So you, you can't actually give, like, it will come out with a lower score on an African-American student. You're, it's, it's illegal <laughs> to give them to um, African-American students. So, like, there are things that are kind of just, like, to me, when I learned that as a special education teacher, I was like, that, why is that a thing? Like, why is that acceptable? Like, why are they still giving these tests at all if you can't give them to everybody? What's the point of them? Um, and you have a high proportion of, a disproportion of students, of African-American male students, um, diagnosed with emotional disturbance is one of the one of the terms that you can label someone with for special education services. So just this massive disproportionate number. And I wish I had the numbers in my head, but it's it's over off the charts. Um, so there are in the education field, there are a lot of things that are just known. Like people just know this stuff. Um, as a kid growing up there, so I grew up in a town called a city called Yonkers, New York. Um, and they actually made a mini series about my town <laughs> called Show Me a Hero. Uh, we were one of the last cities in New York State to desegregate our schools. So that happened just before I started kindergarten. So what happened was like I went to school with a massive amount of diversity around me. Like what it meant was that you didn't have to go to your neighborhood school. There were there was busing. So they would bus kids from all over the city to any school they wanted to go to. So that meant that I got to go to school with anybody who wanted to go to my school um, rather than just your neighborhood schools, which tended to be racially based, right? And economically based. So I had friends from all over and all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different family types, socioeconomic backgrounds and all that stuff. So I grew up in a really nice kind of setting in that regard, but I noticed when I went to high school that, sorry, I should close my email there. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> um, that, um, that when I went to high school, what happened was a lot of white families actually took their kids out of the public school system and put them into private schools. So in America, everyone's entitled to public education. Private schools are traditionally um, religious affiliated and things like that. So they're all the white kids <laughs> went to private school. So I actually didn't have a lot of white friends in high school, which is like, and again, I've, I've kind of realized that now. And I realized it when I went to college, I went to Boston college, which is a pretty prestigious college. I went there my first day of orientation. I sat there with my mom in a big auditorium They had all the freshmen come in and one of those things that you see in a movie. Right. And I said to my mom who happens to be white, <laughs> I said to my mom, I've never seen so many white people in one room before. <laughs> I said, my mom said she had neither. <laughs> so it was, it was jarring, right? So that just to give you a sense of like what kind of environment I went to school in, right? So um, here, <laughs> there's, there's a general sense of it's not a, it's not a problem um, or it's too big of a problem to deal with right now. So I find that with special education, um, there's a really severe lack of services and funding and knowledge and things like that. I could go on and on about special education here um, and services for people with additional needs, but it's a massive hole in the system, in society here. Um, and I feel that way. I feel like we're going in that direction with the racism thing if we don't do something about it. 
Um, so I think there's a general like feeling of, oh, but we're welcoming and there's not that many people who aren't white or it's a new thing, you know, like there's, it's, it's new, it's changing. Everything's different. We have to get used to this and it's not that big of a deal. We're really like, we're the land of a thousand welcomes and all that stuff. And like, that's all very true on the surface, but I think underneath there's a lot of ignorance and bias and just a lack of, it's, it's real ignorance, like a lack of understanding about what it means to be from somewhere else or to have a different identity or to how, how living in a white centric, you know, a, a society that's completely through the lens of a white person has an effect on someone who is not that. And I think, I think there's a, there's a general misunderstanding about what that could be, like the psychology of that. I don't think people realize that. I, I feel that same way about my students who have needs in school. I find teachers are not, are often unwilling to adapt or unwilling to accept that sometimes a kid is just different. And so they behave different. And so like, we need to meet them where they're at because they're kids, you know? So like, there's just, it's almost like everyone just kind of needs to cop on and carry on and just, it'll be grand and all that kind of stuff and just deal with it. And everyone, everyone can get along and as long as we're all nice. And I don't think people understand that that's, there's a lot more to racism than saying the N word or being outwardly mean. Like there's a lot more subtext there that people don't even pick up on, I think. Um, so I don't know, did I answer that question all right, Eric? <laughs> did I get there in the end? <laughs> you certainly did. Um, you, you alluded to the survey earlier and you talked about how uh, the majority of students uh, of color in Ireland say that they've experienced racism in school. Um, and I, I know also that the majority of teachers said that they'd actually welcome uh, anti-racism training so that they're equipped uh, adequately and can deal with occurrences of racism within, within schools. So uh, what, was your, what was your reaction to the results of the survey, considering the data? That, uh, how did you feel um, upon kind of seeing um, the response you got from students and teachers? Um, so... I, like I said, I was shocked about the number, um, not surprised, but just like, oh, wow, like it is that bad, you know, um, I was really happy to see that 99% of teachers say they want, it's their responsibility to be more inclusive um, in their classrooms or be inclusive in their classrooms because it, it's 100% their responsibility, <laughs> like it's everybody, it, it, it is our job um, as teachers to make sure that all those kids in front of us from, from age four or five or even younger in early childhood care and everything like that, all the way through the leaving cert, those kids are our responsibility and it's our duty to look after them, not just educate them. Like, I think that's also, that's also a difference in education here and an approach to education. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a leaving cert. So you teach to the test and it's your job as your teacher to just go in and teach. And I think that's changing um, but in America, it was much more of a focus on like overall well-being and, and a holistic approach to kids. And so that's also a shift that's ha it's happening here now. But I think the anti-racism stuff is kind of coming along with that, uh, along, as, along with other, you know, anti-bullying campaigns and things like that. Right. So I was really happy to see that. What, what was shocking was when you have almost 100 percent of people of color experiencing racism, even though teachers want to be more inclusive, only 50% of them said that they noticed racism in their schools. So that's a big, that's a big disconnect. So if the kids are experiencing it, but the teachers don't even know, 
or aren't aware of maybe what they're seeing or, you know, I mean, we can't know everything that the kids that happened with the kids, you know, like there's, there's moments where you hear things and you're like, Oh my God, that's actually happening <laughs> like right under our noses sometimes, you know, like these kids have lives outside of school and things like that. But I think that that's a big, that's a big, that, that, that not, not only tells me that teachers don't know what they're seeing maybe, or that students don't feel comfortable reporting what's going on. I think that's probably a bigger thing. So, so to me, that's a big red flag. That's like, okay, teachers are not approachable in this regard. 99% uh, of teachers in Ireland are white, you know, like I, I can imagine that most kids don't feel comfortable going to most of their teachers, not all. I'm sure there are some really great teachers. I know there are some really great teachers who, who leave themselves open for kids to, to approach them about anything. But I would say the vast majority of teachers maybe aren't on that wavelength, you know? So that was, that was a concerning thing to me. That was, that was the biggest. And I said, that's where, that's where I can fill the, I'm hoping to bridge the gap, like fill that void and say, okay, so how do we make our spaces comfortable? How do we make our spaces safe? How do we make ourselves safe for students to tell us what's going on? Because we can't stop everything. But if we're starting with ourselves and making ourselves approachable and safe, then hopefully that's trickling down. We're being more um, inclusive with our curriculum choices. We're being really, really uh, particular about what we're doing. We're setting up our classrooms in a way that makes kids feel inclusive. You know, like it starts with us and then it kind of, I'm hoping it just goes out to the kids and then eventually working on anti-racism stuff curriculum for kids. But I think it has to start with the teachers. So, yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and definitely the, the, the results, some of the results definitely shocked me too. Uh, mm -hmm. But your, your training, I actually was lucky enough to uh, experience it <laughs> along with some members. <laughs> um, oh, there's so much that really struck me about it. I think you um, as uh, someone who's delivering, presiding over the deliverance of the training is in itself very unique considering who you are and your own identity. And you really are personal in that you share your experience with your identity in the training. The fact that you're a descendant of Jewish grandparents, um, you're also uh, German, in a sense, American upbringing, uh, mm -hmm. and from the Latino community, I believe. Yeah, um, Puerto Rican grandparents. <laughs> yeah. all, all in one. All over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so you really were personal, I think, in delving into your, your identity and your journey, and you allowed that to kind of uh, deliver a message to the listener about how a complex identity can give you a complex understanding of what it means to be subjected to discrimination as a result of your identity. It was more of a, an experience and it was very personal. Um, and I think it was very unique. I, I've never really seen many things like this. I think I would have greatly benefited from something like this when I was younger. I also think teachers- Me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think teachers in Ireland uh, who can sometimes feel as if they can't necessarily understand the experiences of people in Ireland in modern, a modern pluralistic nation, which is what modern Ireland is, who can't connect with students. I think it can yeah. really give them an insight into their experiences. So I have to ask yeah. you, what are the means you aim to use or that you try to use when putting together the training to kind of reach your goals? And what is the goal of your anti-racism training too? So the means and the goal, how do you want teachers to leave once you've uh, delivered a, a training to them um, and what do you want them to do in the classroom they're, they're, uh, they're from? Yeah, so I think what you talked about, me talking about myself, that's the first thing I do. I talk about 
my name. I talk about like the, all the different names that I have and where they all come from. I, I go right from the very beginning of me all the way through to now. And I think that's really important. Now I've delivered the trainings online up until now. So I'm hoping to act I actually will be delivering some them in person moving forward. Um, but so that, that was really important that I establish who I am because I come on the screen, you hear my accent. I'm not from Ireland. What is she? Who is she? What is she? Where is she from? Blah, blah, blah. You know, those questions are definitely running through participants' minds if they don't know me already. And I said, you know, I'll just tell everybody who I am by my terms, on my, you know, on my terms, who I am by my definition. And I think starting from that and talking about personal identity with the participants, having them explore their own identities and who they are, and then having them chat with each other about who they are in like very basic terms. What is your favorite color? How many siblings do you have? You know, that kind of stuff. And then building out from who am I as a person to who are we in society? How does society see us? Why does society see us in this way? What are the values that society places on us by our in terms of our identity what are the things that society values about our identities and then keep keeping going right and talking about bias and ultimately like at first try really talking about empathy and vulnerability and belonging and that's kind of the core value I think that runs all the way through is that empathy and that connection and how we have to connect with the people around us if we were able to connect more then I think all the problems in the world would be gone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's very, it's very, you know, positive of me if I could, if I could go with that. But I think if we could just connect with each other as human beings, instead of looking at each other and placing labels on each other, which we do anyway, our brains do that. Right. But like if, so our brain does that and we go, okay, so my brain just did that. Why did it do that? How do I just move past that and ask some questions to get to know a person rather than label them, walk away and miss an opportunity for connection. So I think building empathy and connection, that's the core of it all. And then I, I go into bias, I talk about why we have bias and, and then I talk about racism and I talk about the history of racism and the slave trade and, and why it was all constructed. I talk about how the British racialized the Irish, you know, like that's, I, I try to make as many connections for people as I can rather than talking at them. I try to talk about things. I have lots of videos. I, I, I grab videos from, um, there's been so many actual videos by RTE and by us back in Irish, right? Of, of um, people who have grown up here and have a lot to say about, you know, and not just black people, but people of, of all colors and shapes and sizes and ethnicities and, and religions and all that stuff. So, and I even talk about the intersectionality of it all, right? So white supremacy affects not just people because of race, it actually affects everyone across the board. All of those isms, all of those prejudices that we have um, all stem from white supremacy. And this, uh, this idea that there is somebody at the top and everybody else is below, right? And that one person at the top is that white cisgendered heterosexual <laughs> male, you know, middle-class, upper-class, that that's it. And everyone else just kind of is further and further from the ideal person based on all the other identities that we have. So that I, that's kind of the overview. And then once, once I have people reflect and journal and watch more videos and, and, and have, have a bit of time to think about it and process it, then they come back 
And as teachers, I ask the teachers to now, okay, now you have all this information. Now you've done this reflection. Hopefully you've started to look at things a little bit differently. Maybe your eyes are a little bit open wider and things like that. And so now how, what can we do in our classrooms? Like what can we do tomorrow that will make an impact on our students um, that will establish a better connection with our students. So there's, I mean, just daily activities, daily, you know, opportunities for feedback. For, just for kids to give feedback in general. How was this lesson today? Not even, it has nothing to do with race or, or anything, but allowing kids to have a voice in the classroom, I think will help people kind of move forward in this direction as well. And then we look at curriculum choices. So I'm an English teacher, special education in English. And so I can, <laughs> I know exactly what I'd pick, <laughs> what books to read and things like that. But just to kind of give, you know, opportunities for science teachers, math teachers, art teachers, music, everybody, everybody could just got together in subject groups and they came up with, we actually did a Padlet and came up with a whole bunch of different um, curriculum ideas per subject area. So it was, it was, it started all with me talking about myself. And then by the end, you're building a bigger curriculum and a, and a, and a better curriculum for your students and stuff that you can do literally the next day at work. So that's, that's, that's what I want people to do. I want people to go to work the next day and be better because they know better. Right. I keep misquoting Maya Angelou, but she said, you know, like once you know better, you can do better. And that's, that's it. That's it. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, a recent revelation that occurred with me and I know my, I think my last YouTube video was with, um, was of me in Belgium actually, on the streets of Belgium interviewing people about King Leopold II and what I said at the end of my video was that um, like the, the, even the discussion with the statues of the likes of King Leopold II and Winston Churchill and many other figures at, regardless of the cultural debate I think these debates are arising because of the fact that Europe is not as hegemonic as it once was it's it's perilous yeah. and therefore the way in which we react or interact with modern Europe and the modern nations within Europe needs to be based upon an appreciation for that pluralism and that diversity. Um, uh, and something that I've talked about in previous videos is about John Hume uh, from Ireland, uh, an Irish activist, a very famous Irish activist. In his, in his book that I read, A New Ireland, he spoke about how modern Ireland needs to try its best to not only embrace this diversity, but to establish institutions that respond to that diversity in a positive way. Because the only mm -hmm. way to stabilize and to ensure peace is by appreciating and respecting diversity because difference is an accident of birth. I think anti-racism training, like, like especially of, like yours is just so brilliant. It, this is an attempt that Ireland is making and figures like yourself in Ireland are making to embrace the diversity of modern Ireland, a pluralist nation, but also to harness that uh, and react to that diversity in a positive way. Now, that being said, in the United <laughs> States of America right now, there is a great deal of pure oh. <laughs> anti-racism training it's i think america is such a huge nation i think there's like a population of 300 million people uh and there's a culture but there's also many different subcultures in the united states of america also uh what i've observed is i think like in the dichotomous um it's it's not really dichotomous because of the subcultures are stated because there's so many different takes <laughs> and so it's it's quite a uh, it's, it's a multiplicity of sort of voices that are being uh, portrayed in the arena of discourse in and around things like racism, but many other things too. For example, you could have a body, a community organization that like the Nation of Islam, for example, that have a particular take on 
racism, but then you could also have uh, an Ibram X. Kendi. Then at the, it's in the same sphere, you could have someone like a John McWhorter. There's just so many different thinkers. But what I've seen in the main debate that is really taken stage in the media, the critical race theory debate, is two sides in a political context, just talking past each other. Like, <laughs> like even in politics in America right now, it's so incredibly divisive. There's no consensus, no common ground. It's usually two groups talking past each other. So with the critical race theory debate, for example, and I'd love to get your take on this too before I, and I'll also ask you about what your thoughts are on the fear around anti-racism training generally in America, but it seemed to me that like you had one side and there's, okay, one side on, it tended to be on the political right. And within that group, you had people who were very disingenuous, uh, it seemed with their criticisms, who went so far as to pass laws to prohibit books, and to pass laws to prohibit an academic theory, which to me as someone, an Irish man, is just <laughs> yeah. alien. Like laws on this, as a law student too, laws on the statute book to prohibit a theory um, when there are real physiological issues that are affecting the lives of real people on the ground, vulnerable yeah. people within society who need genuine Very help. Very distracting, isn't it? Distracting. Very distracting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But then in that group also, you had figures like Christopher Rufo, who was a part of the political hype too, but who also wrote a review uh, of critical race theory on how he thought that tenets and principles were being co-opted and applied in schools in regressive ways. Then on the other and okay, then on the other side, you had people who advocated against the laws and advocated against books like Tony, belonging to authors like Tony Morrison being banned, which is ridiculous. But then on yeah. the other side, you also had people talking about how the people who are criticizing critical race theory are criticizing it because they don't want black history to be taught and don't want American history to be taught. And I think you had, so the disingenuous actors, but then you also had legitimate claims and people were just talking by each other. I've never seen a media, a program where two people sat down and said, well, this is really my problem. So was like, okay, mm. okay, well, this is my, <laughs> my problem. No, and, no. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> You've, you've hit the nail on the head of why we don't live there anymore. <laughs> One of the biggest problems in America. So I left in 2017 um, and I found in 2016 um, with the campaigning and every, like the, that was Trump's election, right? And things like that. And the, the year or two before that got so tense. It was actually like palpable. Um I taught in, I was living in California at the time. I lived in Oakland, California, which is the heart of the Black Panthers. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was, was all over the place. And I actually then taught in the suburbs, um, which was predominantly white areas, very wealthy kind of, like those high schools you see in movies. I taught at one of those, like the football players ran through a football helmet to get on the field and they had pep rallies and all that stuff, right? I didn't even go to a high school like that. So, so that was, that was the environment I was teaching in. I was living in a different environment. Um, I started my family. I had my, my oldest daughter at that time as well. So things were palpably horrible. Like it was, we had incidents in our school of a, 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 a teenager painted blacks or uh, coloreds and whites on the over the urinals in the boys' bathroom. Um, and I had never, like that, I'd never seen anything like that before. And there were kids wearing Make, Make America Great Again hats at school, you know, teenagers. And you're just kind of like, what is going on here? Like, so there was this debate, it was the Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump debate. 
and it was trickling down to the kids and it was giving license. We had just been through eight years of Barack Obama and all of a sudden we had this license to just spew hate and be hateful and people who must have, for whatever reason, had such a difficult time with a black man as their president just couldn't hold it in anymore. And it just, he, he gave, Trump gave license to people to, to be nasty, to be mean, and to be that base self that, you know, we all have, we all have thoughts that aren't great about people, right? Like we all have things that pop in our heads. We don't say them out loud. Most of us go, oh, that was, that was a good, you know, like I shouldn't say that, but he doesn't seem to have it. But he kind of like said, it's okay. You're white and you're powerful and you're at the top. So you can say whatever you want. And he says that even like, I can do whatever I want. Right. And he's getting away with, he's still getting away with everything. So, um, you know, that the thing that happened last year where they stormed the Capitol, like he's still getting away with all that stuff. So that I feel like American politics, uh, American politics have never been great. I just felt that at that time it was dangerous. And I feel that way now. Now I haven't been back because of COVID, but the last time I was back was 2019 and it was, I couldn't watch the news. I couldn't watch. I couldn't, I just couldn't. I said, you know, my parents are there still. My brother's still there. My friends, everybody's there. And I just, I don't know how people live um, there right now without feeling this like overwhelming sense of like dread. And it's, it's so divisive and it's so distracting what's going on with the critical race theory stuff. I think, I think they're, like you said, like there's so much real stuff going on. Um, and there's the debate about, uh, you know, women's rights to choose. There's LGBTQ plus debates going on. Um, just as many bills as they're passing about critical race theory, they're also banning transgender people in bathrooms. You know, like there's just things that they're passing laws about, which is just like, why, why is this devoting, getting any attention at all? And I think it's because it's such like clickbaity stuff. And I think people just, I don't think we've been taught enough. I, I didn't learn so much stuff about American history and I had American history all along, right? I didn't learn about the Japanese internment camps in America during World War II until I went to college. And I read a book in my Asian American literature course, which was taught by a white person. Um, but I read a book about someone going through the Japanese internment camps in California. And I was like, is this fiction? <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. Right. Um, we learned about, you know, Native American atrocities that were committed against Native Americans and things like that, but also very glossed over. We learned about the slave trade, but then we learned about how great lives were for Black people after the civil rights movement. You know, it was just, we didn't learn. And I think and I went to a pretty, I, like I said, I went through a very diverse school system. I was surrounded by diversity my, in my house and everywhere I went. Um, I still didn't know a whole lot of stuff. And so I think your average middle America white person knows even less. And so, and they're being taught by people who know as much as they do. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel that way about the, the Irish teachers here as well. Like Irish teachers only know so much because of what they've been exposed to and things like that. So, you know, the more we can do to expose people more and to, and to do more stuff and to, and to build that empathy, because you don't have to go and travel the world to have empathy towards people who are different than you, right? Like that shouldn't be 
a thing. Um, but I think with America, it's just that history. There's so much nationalism going on right now in America and it's dangerous. And you have, and I felt, I think that's been building since 9-11 to be completely honest with you. Um, and I think it's just at a, at a tipping point. And I think this is just one more thing. Um, and critical race theory is not being taught in schools. Like it's not, it's, it's a law theory. It's taught in, in law school. Um, and what they're banning is, is teaching kids history, like actual history. And that's what they, they don't want kids to know what they should know, what every kid should know. And it's not about, I think there's also this misunderstanding that like, like Black History Month, oh, we're teaching stuff for Black people and we're, you know, things like that. It's like, it's not for the Black people. <laughs> it's for everybody else. It's for everyone to learn this stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I, I really think it's a major distraction and they're just like, look over here while this, all this other stuff is happening, you know, and race is a really easy, a really easily divisive thing. It doesn't take a lot of thought. People just kind of go one way or the other on racism stuff. And it makes people really uncomfortable. Um, it makes, it makes people really uncomfortable to be called racist. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I do in my courses. I actually talk about how we're all racist and we all have racist thoughts, myself included. So no one is exempt from bias and no one is exempt from racist thoughts because of how we're socialized and how we're taught and how all of us basically on the planet are, are exposed, everything we're exposed to is through the white lens. So everything we're told about what is best is through the lens of that white supremacy kind of model, do you know? So that's why when you go to South Asia, you can't buy lotion without bleach in it because people think they need to lighten their skin, right? Because white or lighter skin is more preferable. Having European hair texture is more preferable to Afro texture hair, right? I mean, I have curly hair and I only wanted straight hair. I wanted blue eyes. I wanted to not tan in the sun. I, you know, I wanted all that stuff too as a kid. So I think when, when, you, when you call someone out on that, when you call someone out on, you know, that joke was racist, it makes people go, whoa, 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 right? And you can't call me that. You can't say that about me. But it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that you're not thinking very clearly or, or, or thoughtfully about what you're doing, right? So when, when people are talking about critical race theory and they're saying, we can't learn about this stuff, we don't want our kids to learn about how our ancestors had slaves. I saw that actually on something like, I didn't want, I don't want my kids to know about how our ancestors owned a, planta a plantation that had slaves. And it's like, but the black kids know that their ancestors were slaves. So why can't your kids know that their ancestors were slaveholders mm -hmm. and they're just who their ancestors were. It's not who they are. Right. So it's like, detach yourself from the history of it, learn about the history of it and learn from it and be better. Be better because you know more. So be better. Um, be better than those ancestors, right? Um, yeah, you said earlier my mom's parents were German, but they were Jewish. So actually, actually, my grandparent, my great grandparents were both technically called mixed race couples because my grandfather, my great grandfathers were both Jewish, and my great grandmothers were both Christian, and they were married Jewish men. 
So my grandparents were put in work camps and Holocaust survivors, like they were Holocaust survivors and things like that. So they were able to go to America, but they had to know, like they had to come out of Nazi Germany and be better people, right? Like they had to come and say, okay, like we have to be better than what we just left. We have to be in a place where we're more accepting and things like that. And I don't think that's what they found when they got there. Um, and then my, my Puerto Rican grandparents experienced a lot of discrimination. Um, my grandmother was Afro-Latina and um, it was <laughs> it was not an easy thing to be a Puerto Rican in the late 40s, 50s in New York City because it was a, one of those drives um, that America had to, to grab a lot of their, Puerto Rico is a colony of America, right? So they actually grabbed a whole bunch of Puerto Ricans and said, come on, work for us. There's lots of jobs up here, right? So my grandmother worked in like a garment factory and things like that. Um, and then when my parents got married, my mom, the, they couldn't get a, an apartment together because my mom had to go and rent apartments by herself. If they saw my dad uh, on his name or he, if he walked up <laughs> to view an apartment, all the, the apartment was gone. So um, my mom had to rent their first apartment together. It was only her name on the lease. <laughs> so, you know, that's, there's so much stuff that like, I know that because that's my family history, right? And I had to be aware of race and racism because I don't look like anyone else in my family. And I had to know why, right? Like that was everyday conversation in my house. Mm -hmm. um, it's everyday conversation in my house now with my own kids. So when I think when white people are hearing, oh, we're talking about this, like we're talking about this kind of stuff in school, but I don't do that at home. I don't have to talk about that. They're not recognizing their privilege, their privilege in that. And they're not understanding that this isn't just for kids of color. This isn't just about representation. This isn't just about that kind of stuff. This is about educating our, our people to be our young people to be better people as adults. And they're they're missing that. I don't think they're understanding that, you know, and again, it's a distraction. It's distracting us from the actual really important things like you talked about before that we should be caring about in society. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. That was a really long-winded answer there. Uh, yeah. No, it was a very interesting one uh, for sure. Um, I think I, I agree with, uh, I have another question to put to you in this vein as an mm -hmm. extension, a corollary from what has been said. Um, but before I, before I say that, I, I think, um, thank you so much, firstly, for sharing your experience. I think it's that unique insight based upon the multiplicity of facets that go into creating uh, Brianna's <laughs> identity, <laughs> anti-racism training, very poignant. Um, but I think uh, I agree with uh, the bulk of what you said, and I'm still making my mind on a lot of things because I think there's so many things going on at once, particularly with the CR thing, uh, CRT thing, and so many people talking past each other and no one yeah. actually sitting down to converse with one another. Um, yeah. Yeah, my, my, yeah okay so I'll move on to the next question because I really don't want to labor any this is about really getting to the crooks of your training and the work that you're doing um, so the next question is about um, yes it's similar to this one it's about anti-racism training in the United States of America I brought mm -hmm. up CRT to make the point that it seems like questions of anti-racism in America uh, like critical race theory and matters pertaining to these things have become so distorted that yeah there's fewer around this. It's in the political arena and there's different interpretations about things and arguments. It, 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 I had a conversation with an American for my podcast, um, actually, and we spoke about this. And I talked to him about how here in Ireland, and I had your training in mind when I said this to him, here in Ireland, when we conduct an anti-racism, anti-bias training, 
<laughs> these trainings are created to tackle racism and bias. <laughs> That's how these trainings are, are conducted. And when we tackle racism and bias, we have in mind, for example, with bias, what you said, the fact that we can all have racist thoughts and bias inclinations, and we all have to try and combat this. And sometimes we can conceptualize an ideal standard that excludes people from particular backgrounds, but it instead includes other people from other backgrounds. Uh, but in America, it seems as if things are so distorted that there's a political dimension to it. There's an ideological dimension to it. And it prevents people from truly getting to the bottom of issues and tackling real world problems that people are confronting in regards to racism and discrimination. So my question is, with, with your training, how, how important do you think it is for us to conduct, uh, or rather construct an Irish-specific anti-racism training that gets to the bottom of the problem that exists within our nation without deviating upon paths that are super political and super ideological and that distort yeah. the reality of the problem and the reality of the remedy to the problem? Yeah, that's actually one of the first things that I thought of. So, so when I started the training, at first I Googled, does, that, does this exist, <laughs> right? And so there are some really great people in Ireland that are working on this, like Dr. Evan Joseph, she has, you know, she does a lot of great work, but she's an academic and things like that. Like she's got her books and her training and they're amazing, but there's nothing for teachers that are, that's made for teachers by a teacher, except for <laughs> what I did. But there was a reason for that because I think there's also so much stuff. Like if you Google anti-racism, it's all American stuff. Like there's, there's a lot of British stuff out there as well, but there's, I think what I was, what was really always in the back of my head, I guess, so I, I designed this training the way I design anything that I do with students, right? So it's always who's in front of me, what's going to be the questions, what are, I try to, you try to anticipate questions so that you can kind of get to everything before the, those hands go up and they stop listening, right? So what are the questions going to be? Where, where is stuff going to get tricky? Where is stuff going to get difficult? Where are those, you know, backs going to go up against the wall? Where can I anticipate that stuff so that I can, I can't stop that from happening, but I can try to mitigate it as much as I can, right? I can try to do as much explaining up front and making people not to, not really comfortable, but just okay with what, what we're getting into next, right? So I thought it was really important that, especially as here I am an American telling a bunch of Irish people how to be, right, in their schools. But I think it was really important that I used resources that were Irish. I used video testimonials that were all Irish. I didn't, unless there was just something like a quick little video of an explanation of a word or terminology, everything else is in the Irish context. I read all, all Emma DeBerry's books. I listened to Blind Boy podcasts and he has one, oh, he's great, <laughs> by the way. I love Blind Boy's take on a lot of things, um, but he had Emma DeBerry on as well a couple times. And, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff because I am an immigrant. Like I, I didn't grow up here. My husband did. So I have him as a resource. And as, as I said earlier, like I also had other teachers to kind of bounce ideas off of because I've only, this is my fifth year teaching in Ireland, right? It's my 12th year teaching, but only my fifth year in Ireland. So I have a good idea, but only so much as an outsider looking in really. Right. So, um, I really wanted to make sure that this is that that was not an argument that got thrown back at me that you only did that this is an American problem and I don't want this politics stuff here and you know you only talked about American context because it's not about I mean part part the problem is that it's not about America but the stuff that happens in America impacts what happens here so I'm not saying America is, you know, it's not because America's the best or anything like that. It's just because America's like this, like, 
blinding magnetic thing <laughs> that people just can't take their eyes off or it's a car crash that nobody yeah. can take their eyes off i don't know <laughs> so america gets the cough the ireland gets the flu or something yeah there you go yeah so there's there is i think it's safe to say that ireland has a bit of an obsession with the united states as well and vice versa like the united states like there's a there's a there's a link right there's really strong connections there right <laughs> But anytime, majority of the time I meet someone and I say, oh, I'm from the States. Oh, I'm from New York. And then I get a lot of, oh, I love New York. And, you know, there's this kind of this, this optimal place. It's like the place to be. People want to go there. I think people did go there. Like there's so much immigration from here to there. There's more Irish Americans than there are Irish, right? So like, it's just the diaspora is, is there. The connections are there. It's this in people's mind, this place, right? So there's a strong connection and also there's a fascination with what goes on there, I think. And so it's what happens in America affects the rest of the world. And I think that's something Americans also don't realize. <laughs> I don't think they get the impact that their stuff has on everybody else. I really don't. Um, it's such a big place, like you said, there's so many people. It's very, in a way, insulated. People don't leave people don't experience um like Europeans travel and they and they go to other European countries and they like you're in Belgium at the moment you know so like you get to go and you get to do things as a European that Americans don't do so I think I just wanted to make sure that everything that I talk about is from the Irish lens because it's it's not it's not about America but you can't pretend like that's not happening at the same time because the media that we have here is impacted by what goes on over there. The news, our news, <laughs> when Joe Biden was elected, like after he was inaugurated, it was, he was on the Irish news like every night. I was like, why? It was just about him being Irish, I feel like all the time. But there was always a little Joe Biden segment and stuff. And there was always, Trump was always on the news as well. Um, but I think there, it's hard with social media, how connected we are, the stuff that goes on there, is definitely here. So it's hard, I think, especially with teenagers who are just glued to their phones and connected to people all around the world, at like in, you know, a flick of their thumbs that it's, it's impacting. Like, I don't know about you, Eric, but when I see an act of racism on social media, right, it's on, it's, it's put onto my stories and whatever it is on Instagram from TikTok or whatever. And I'm watching someone being really hateful towards someone else it affects me right so and i'm a grown person and i'm saying that's not me but yes i know what that feels like so i can only imagine how it is for teenagers who are seeing that stuff all the time and hearing that language hearing that those words like why anyone in ireland should be called the n-word i don't understand like it's it's not do you know what i mean like it didn't it's it's not a word that should have ever really been used here historically so why is it here it's here because america do you know what i mean like the influence of america so while i really try to i really try hard to make it very irish specific i can't ignore the fact the impact that racism exists because of what happened with the slave trade and europe and the uk and america are all part of all of that stuff so I think that's, that's, it's like, here's the foundation of it. But now what do we do with that as the people here? 
how do we move past that? And how do we do better with the fact that we don't have those layers of history, right? We don't have that stuff here. So we're in a really great position to say, okay, well, that's what happened over there. Let's keep that there. Let's not let that come into our society. Let's be better than that. And I actually have a lot of hope because I, I feel like there's not like, there's not this kind of like, it, it feels like, like when you chip away at like layers and layers of paint on an old house, like a really old house, right? Like there's so many layers in people's hearts and there's so much hatred in America and people don't even know why they hate other people. Like they don't know. And that doesn't exist here to the, to the degree, like there's layers, but like you can get away at them easier than like a 200 year hold house or something in America. So that's, if that makes sense, I don't know if that metaphor works. But <laughs> just, well, really uh, yeah. I think it only makes sense to account for like the influence of American pop culture and music, like the, as you said, the use of the N word and how that shapes how a lot of young people uh, approach social issues, generally speaking, and how that might influence young people to unfortunately uh, allow for racism to manifest in how they behave um so yeah i, I think that makes a uh, perfect sense uh, okay mm -hmm. so my my next question is uh, actually i first i want to acknowledge how another another thing another aspect facet of your training that i loved was um the something that you acknowledge in regards to bias the fact that like it's something that you said it there already we can all be biased um uh, actually, here in Belgium, I'm taking, I took a course on psychology and criminal justice, and I learned about fallacies when it comes to bias. Yeah. One of the fallacies was the ethical fallacy that only good people are um, not biased. Good things. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Only, yeah. Unethical people are the types of people to be biased. And yeah. the, the translation to your training, which you acknowledged, was that unethical people are not the only type of people that can be biased and anyone can be biased. And this is a scientifically verifiable like way of thinking. Uh, although in America, <laughs> because of the political dimension of the conversation, I think it's downplayed and all too much. And especially because of the ideological nature of the clash where both sides might approach things in a flawed manner, but it allows truth to escape everybody. So I, I think your training does a great job to grasp upon truth for people to learn Thank from. So my Thank next, the next thing I hope to bring up is the inclusive curriculum uh, work that you're doing alongside um, Black Inclusive Curriculum. Um, they advocate for a curriculum here in Ireland and the Irish education system that's inclusive, that accounts for stories from various communities and that allows for people to learn about Black history and other types of history that are not merely linked to Irish history in a singular context in schools. Yeah. And I think this is super positive. I think I would have liked an anti-racism training for teachers where teachers actually, as a result, entered school understanding how I might be discriminated against because I was black and how to deal with it. I think an inclusive curriculum would have really, really benefited me in school. Something that I frequently talked about um, when I talk about when I'm asked about my experience in uh, school with racism and the like is how in one class in particular, a teacher spoke of how Africa was poor. Mm. Um, <laughs> And I came from, again, a Pan-Africanist household. So my mom was teaching me that, you know, Africa is wealthy, rich natural minerals and resources. And the, the homo sapien came from Africa. I never let anyone tell you Africa is poor. And I said yeah. that to my teacher, something of that nature. And he said, well, if Africa wasn't poor, we'd be sending, we wouldn't be sending uh, money, uh, aid to Africa. No, goods. that's because of colonialism. <laughs> so, so, to the point of the inclusive curriculum, two things. Yeah. To, to say firstly why it hurt me that my teacher said that despite the fact that there's an element of truth in what he said is because I know 
it's equipping a lot of my classmates who are not educated uh, in regards to the history of Africa, but who see the Chokra box. It's equipping them with the types of stereotypes that I've been subject to, that it will possibly meet me and other people of African descent in my school because they don't thoroughly understand the African situation, but their stereotypes as per the Chokra box are being validated by their teacher. There's no greater authoritative figure in the school than your teacher. So when he or she validates that way of thinking, that mode of thought, you have every reason to believe in the stereotypes you believe in. Yeah. But also, I know that upon learning colonialism about it myself and through my mom, if my classmates had learned a bit about colonialism and the impact that had on Africa um, and what it did to Africa and how it shaped Africa and many African countries in, in ways that were, were aggressive in, in many senses, I actually think there'd be more empathy off the bat uh, and I actually think there'd be more of a link drawn between the Irish history yeah. of oppression that many Irish people have been, Irish people have been subject to <laughs> experience. And then there'd be less of a stereotype based clash, but more uh, kind of um, more, I don't know, connection, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, more synthesis rather than a clash. So why do you think it's important based on what I've said, but also based upon your, your, your thoughts to have an inclusive curriculum in, in secondary school? Yeah, so I think for everything that you just said, like, so your classmates, I mean, other than you being in their classroom, like how many Black people did they even know, right? And the experience of Black people is limited to what their teachers told them and those choker boxes that I keep hearing about. <laughs> um, so we had similar things in the States. Um, but yeah, it was it was a similar, similar kind of stuff, to be completely honest. So even though I maybe had, I definitely had a few more people of color as teachers, I definitely had teachers, but they were, again, maybe I can count them on two hands for how many years of, between kindergarten to, to my master's degree, you know, like how many people of color taught me is, is very few. Um, so, and the curriculum was also not, not inclusive. So I... I didn't know, like, I didn't know anybody like me. I, like, there, there was no representation of me anywhere that I looked. There was no representation of me in media. There was no representation of me in my, in my school, other than my classmates, but, like, no one in power. Um, there was no one in politics. There was no, you know, there was no one anywhere um, that I could see. So what I really had was Sesame Street <laughs> growing up, which was always very inclusive, but... Other than that, it didn't, it didn't really exist. Um, we had Black History Month every February, it's Black History Month in America at the moment. And that was when we talked about Black people. Um, and I remember, actually, I remember one year, I was in fifth grade, I think, and I, we had to do a book report on, uh, that was always a thing that you did in Black History Month. You had to pick a Black figure of history and do a book report on them and present or whatever it was. And I actually did it on Roberto Clemente, who was, um, one of the first, he was a Latino baseball player, an Afro-Latino baseball player who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I dressed up and I was like, there was a, there was a, a black Latino, you know, baseball player and he's in the hall of fame. He was one of the first ones. And I was like, can I just, I made my mom make me a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball. <laughs> and I'm from New York, like I'm a Yankees fan, but I made her make me a, a, a uniform. Like I went in dressed up as Roberto Clemente and I was so proud because I'm like, this guy's like me. Like this guy's from the same place that my ancestors are from. And he's like me and look at this. And that was, I actually remember that in this fifth grade. Like that was, you know, like that was important, but that was one time and I had to do it myself. My teachers weren't teaching me about Roberto Clemente. So like I had to go find that out for myself. We learned about Jackie Robinson, 
we didn't learn about anybody else and there's there's so like there's so much rich history out there not just people who have just overcome things not just people who have fought and done you know what i mean against against the the like the martin luther kings and the malcolm x's and all that stuff like that they're all really important but there's so many more just everyday people that are, are doing great things all the time and just living life you know like i remember i think the only i was talking with my husband the other day i think the only black family on tv was were the cosby's like that was that was that was a show and i know bill cosby i know but like at the time um that was a show my whole family we sat down and we watched that show and they weren't just a black average like he was a doctor like they had money they lived in a really nice house in new york city like they or in philadelphia and they had they had stuff like they had a family they had a life like that was that was like the only time we saw black people just being people and not having to fight and 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 overcome and and be all these things and it, it didn't exist for Latinos at all like there just wasn't anything so um, I think when when you like there's that phrase right like when you when you if you can't see it you can't be it and that kind of stuff and I I think that that's really important and I think it's really important for kids in Ireland like like yourself like when your parents are immigrants and you you benefited from your parents teaching you really strong you know what I mean like you had a really strong connection to your heritage and your history and your and your 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 roots and I don't know that every kid has that and I don't know that every kid like I I don't know like you stood up for yourself I don't know how many kids do that and I don't know how many kids you know hear stuff at school and then internalize all that and even when their parents are saying stuff like your mom told you there must be such a war within themselves do you know what I mean and rather than and and it's wrong like it's just incorrect like it's just actually in like not factual stuff that's sometimes being taught or we're omitting so much stuff and I always say as teachers we have so much power like that was one of the first lessons I, I learned in like teacher college is you can only teach so much in a school year and you only get those kids maybe for a year sometimes you get them for a couple years right but like you pick what they get to learn like they don't a lot of kids don't learn anything outside of what you give them in the classroom so you know you have to be really intentional with what you what you choose to to talk to them about and show them and, and have them read and and learn about so like and history isn't even required you know like it's it's a it's it when when like teachers have to be so specific and so intentional and I don't feel like the majority of teachers are there I think a lot of times teaching is a very difficult profession there's so much stuff going on politically there's so much stuff going on in your classroom your managing behaviors you're dealing with you know administration you're dealing with parents you're dealing with so many things it's a job unlike anything else and anybody who tells you you get all the time off <laughs> do you know what I mean you deserve the time off <laughs> okay but it's really hard teachers are constantly being thrown with one more thing and one more initiative and this new thing and we have to do this and whatever so I I also kind of had that in the back of my mind with the training as well I don't want this to be one more thing I just want it to be second nature by the time you get used to thinking this way this should just be the way we all think we should all say wait is this going to be inclusive towards all my kids am I am I making sure that I'm representing all the kiddos in my classroom in some way, shape or form? Am I inviting them into learning about factual things, about things that really happened? Not my, not my maybe biased understanding or how I was taught biasedly, right? But like 
an informed idea of, of, of what the world actually looks like. And, and like you, like you say, like Ireland is not the Ireland of, that my husband grew up in. Like it's, it's, it's changing and it's changing quite rapidly. So it's, I started, my husband and I have been together for 14 years or something like that. <laughs> so like I've been coming to this and, and I've even seen it change and I've only lived here for the last five years. Right. So I think teachers don't have, teachers were taught by the people they were taught by. Right. So the people who had power in their lives. So now they have the power and they need to learn more so that they can show more, that they can spread that wealth of information out there. Um, but I think a lot of teachers are, are phoning it in a lot of the times and, you know, just getting through the day and saying, I've taught this before. I'm going to teach it again. Let's go. You know, we're doing Romeo and Juliet for the 17,000th time rather than picking a play that has a bit more meaning towards the kids that are in my classroom. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there, I think it all comes down to like that, that power and that choice that we have and, and respecting that a little bit more. Like, I don't know how much people think about that. Um, you know, and I, and I'm thinking about the year I have, I have first years this year for English and I say, okay, well, what am I going to do with them? Like, what, what poems am I going to share with them? Like, how can I work my Angelou and Langston Hughes and here? How can I grab some, some, some authors from, from the African continent or the Asian continent? Like, how, where can I pull stuff from? Um, we read a book about a Native American, like that's that, like, I just, yeah, it's not, it's not about Ireland, but it's still about the human experience. And it's about, it's about empathy and it's about building and understanding and bridging those gaps that just because everybody doesn't live where I live or grew up where I grew up doesn't mean that I can't connect to them on some level. And if we don't celebrate those experiences and those stories, then we're doing a real disservice to our students, all of our students, not just our students of color. So I, I actually think our training like is actually so important for, for, for schools and maybe more rural locations in the country where there are fewer black people or people of color. And I can't wait to get out to those schools um, to do a lot of work with them because it's not just about those, those few kids in those schools, it's about everybody else. And, and building those connections for everyone else so that when they become adults, these, like, it's just, it's just second nature to them. It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter because they just say, oh, you're, you're from here or you're from there. Or that's really cool. I read this book in school and, and you can just move on. Like, it's just, it just makes sense. Or I learned about the history of, you know, this in school. When I asked third years a couple of years ago about what they knew about the slave trade and they all just looked at me and said, what? Like, I said, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, like, you know, they, Europeans went to Africa and took people and went on boats, like very simply, but like, this is what happened and then they brought stuff back and they, they were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I talking about? Like, this is really important for like human history. Like, this is really, this affected the whole world and it impacted everywhere. And you guys don't know about it at all. And and you don't have to take history as a leaving subject. So you're never going to learn about it. That to me, like that, like blew my mind. So, and, and again, not just to learn about that, but to learn about other stuff as well, but they're not even learning about that. So like, there's, there's a major, there's a major disconnect here. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's super important. And if you can't, if you can't see yourself in the subjects, that you're that you're exploring that I don't know like 
the impact of that on on kids i i can't imagine that it's a, a very good one so oh yeah um i think uh one thing i i, I another thing i like it's like between all of your answers i've just been naming aspects of your training that i admire but uh, <laughs> I the formal thing i admire and the thing about the training that is most in line with an approach that I try to take in life and in, in all on all planes, intellectually, personally speaking, is empathy. Like um, you said, there's something very powerful. You said, um, look, we, we did a book on uh, a Native American. Um, however, although that's not an Irish person, it's still a, a person. And I'll still teach pe people something about the human experience, which is an experience yeah. that's common to all of us. And that's very complex. That's very hard to articulate because people experience life in different ways, but there are common threads that run through the way in which we all experience life. So learning about someone else's experience will not only allow us to delve into their life, but it can also teach us something about ourselves. Um, right. That's just really powerful. Um, and I think the Irish education system should try and embody your words in, in a lot of ways, considering modern Ireland, the, the nature of modern Ireland. Now, of course, you can't, as you, as you acknowledged, you know, we, we can't teach about every single historical occurrence, but ones that are fundamental to the nature of our society, uh, to the future that we want our young people to live, considering the very small world we live in. Not too long ago, the world was a massive place, but now we're so connected, as you acknowledge with the internet, it's a globalized, uh, global community we live in, more than a, a world uh, that's distinct and separate. So an education system reflecting that, I, I think could be really beneficial for students. So on the back of that, I have to ask uh, Rihanna as the final question, and you can answer this any way you like. What are your hopes for the future of the Irish education system, considering, again, the composition of modern Ireland, uh, considering your plans with the anti-racism, anti-bias training, the ascendancy of organizations like the one we're a part of, Black and Irish, and the ascendancy of conversations about how we proceed as a, nature, as a nation, rather, rather, considering the nature of our nation, uh, what what do you think the education system should strive towards looking like in the future? Yeah, I think I think one of the big words, the buzzwords in the education community is is inclusion, and I think that encompasses so much. You know, like that's a, a very broad spectrum that we're talking about when we talk about inclusion. And I think that to really really understand that word and and really talk, it's kind of like that word diversity. You know, like what does that mean? Like that that doesn't just mean having a couple of black people in, in the classroom, right? Like that means everybody, that it means genders and races and ethnicities and, and um, sexualities and religions and all that stuff, right? So what are we talking about? We're talking about inclusion. I really want that to be well-defined and I want that to be really globally understood. And I want that to be in the backs of every teacher's mind. I, I want teachers to not just say, oh, I have to, I have to do this and I have to make sure I'm I'm making sure you know that I, I have my lesson plans designed so that all the kids can learn and all that stuff but like that I'm also picking picking the making the choices that I'm making based on knowing that what I'm teaching is going to make an impact down the line and I think being really intentional I just want teachers to be intentional I want teachers to be aware I want teachers to realize that they're biased we're biased like we're all, we're all biased. Like we have, you know, my, my kids are very young and they're going to, to crash into, into primary school and they come home saying things like boys do this and girls do that, you know, and there's, there's things like just on that basic kind of level where as a society, like global society, that's very much changing. But what's being taught in primary school is still boys do this and girls do this, you know, and, and that, cause that's not coming from our house. 
So it's, it's in primary school. It's probably on the stuff that they watch on YouTube. It's probably on, you know, in, in their Netflix specials and all that stuff. So I can't just, (laughs) I can't say that it's not coming from us, but like, it's, it's, it's changing. And I just, I want, I want schools to be aware of everybody being different and maybe not fitting into the boxes that we've given our each other over the last several hundred years. So that that's not just in terms of race. That's also in terms of gender and sexuality and ability and all that stuff like that, that huge spectrum of inclusion that we're saying, who are you just come in and just be you. And I'm not going to judge you because of my bias. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to put my bias on you and make you fit into a box that makes me feel more comfortable because now I can, you fit in here, whether it's right or wrong, you fit here. So now I can respond to you appropriately. So teachers have to acknowledge that they do that and actively work against that. You can't, it's not enough to just say, no, I treat everybody equally and I don't see color. Like that's not real, right? So we know that. Um, so it's it's moving past that and saying, no, you do, you do see color. You like I see color. Um, I have to talk to my kids about my skin color and their skin color, um, and why that scientifically that happens that I get really nice and tan in the summer and they they do too, but not as much. Um, but you know, why mommy and daddy are totally different looking and why they look different from their friends, why they don't have blonde hair, blue eyes and things like that. So I don't, I, I don't want, like, I guess overall, I don't want any kid to feel the way I did growing up that I didn't, I knew I didn't fit in any of those boxes, but no one around me let me not fit in the boxes, if that makes sense. So like I, I naturally just didn't fit, but no one acknowledged that. And instead I got labeled and labeled and labeled all through my life even still today I get labeled as the American <laughs> I get labeled as you know like I'm just oh you're you're from you're just that I'll just that's cool you're 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 a novelty you're exotic you're that kind of stuff right so all of that stuff I I don't want my own kids or any kid to grow up feeling like oh god there's something wrong with me because I don't fit in that box and that can't happen if we don't educate our teachers who then educate their students, who then educate their own kids. Like we don't get out of this without working through with the teachers first. So I want this type of training, whether it's my training or someone else who can do it better. I want this training to be mandatory for every teacher in Ireland. I don't want, I want all the teachers who are teaching now, what is it, 18,000 people. I want every single teacher to have this training. And I want every teacher in training now, like in teacher college, to receive this as part of their required course material. So that's, that's the big goal. That's the only way we're ever going to make racism with like it, not, it's never going to go away, but not so much of an issue is if we, we start with the school system. I, I firmly believe that all of the problems in society could be get, gotten rid of if we just targeted and, and made our school system stronger, made it, our education curriculum stronger and educated our teachers just that little bit better. Well, super powerful. <laughs> I have to be honest saying that I would support like 
completely uh, a call to make your uh, trainings mandatory for teachers, especially considering in light of what we discussed in regards to how Ireland is today and where Ireland is going uh, and how we should respond to Ireland's adversity. But I have to be honest in saying I would not respond, I would not support every single person's call to make their specific training mandatory. Okay. <laughs> yours is very yours is very unique. It's, it's very powerful. And it's something that I think Ireland really needs, uh, especially right now, especially teachers in Ireland, especially considering the results of our survey and the fact that there's a strong want for yeah. such training uh, amongst Irish teachers. So Teachers do want this. They want, they want to be better. They just don't know how. That was uh, overwhelming. Like they could write in and answer what's, what's the barrier to, towards being inclusive in your classroom. And everyone wrote, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't feel comfortable. So I want to take that away. I want to, I want to make them, not that you can ever feel comfortable in these, in the, with these situations, but I want them to be okay with that discomfort. And I want them to have the language to talk about it so that they, they can move forward and they can get used to this and so that their students then like what we do impacts them so that's 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 it yeah i want to empower those teachers so yeah. amazing um <laughs> there is so much we touched on uh even even on top of uh the inclusive curriculum but also your a campaign for the uh in fact your anti-racism training and your campaign for the inclusive curriculum so yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation, Brianna. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank um, you, Eric. Have you back soon. <laughs> a lot of kind of side points we touched on that I'd love to flesh out with you another time. But yeah, yeah. sure. Thank you so much. It was-